Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Wednesday, June 8th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Thanks for joining us for another live show here from beautiful, sweltering Scottsdale, Arizona. Temperatures already up into the hundreds and well above that, but uh, we're inside where there's air conditioning. I don't, I don't even think my system would work outside in the heat that we've got going out there, uh, which means that uh, we're still feeling the burn here uh, at, uh, at Cannabis Radio and at the Russ Belleville Show, despite the electoral drubbing that uh, Bernie Sanders took last night in the primary elections, losing California by double digits, which pretty much, uh, pretty much comes to a conclusion of Bernie Sanders' chances of uh, convincing superdelegates to switch over and to give him the nomination. It does look like Hillary Clinton will be the Democratic nominee to go up against the Trumpster. <laughs> That's the best name I could think of at the uh, top of my head there. But we're going to talk a little bit about that on the program. In our Behind the Headlines segment, we're going to take a look at how medical marijuana is the one issue where Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are pretty much indistinguishable. Okay, maybe not the one issue, but uh, definitely an issue where they are indistinguishable. So we'll take a look at their past pronouncements on medical marijuana policy, see if we can read the tea leaves and give you an idea who would be the least worst candidate for the medical marijuana community. Also coming up on the show today, we've got more audio to unpack from the normal Aspen Legal Seminar and some great presentations to bring to you. First, we'll bring you a government at work presentation from Natalie Elaine. She is a family practice attorney in the state of Michigan, and she did a presentation on the intersection of family law and medical marijuana law or just marijuana law in general now that we have recreational states as well. And of course, uh, we all know how even with legal marijuana, we have parents that are fighting terrible battles in court over child custody, over visitation, thanks to their use of cannabis, battles they wouldn't have to fight it if it were prescription drugs or alcohol. So uh, we'll hear a little bit about that from Natalie Elaine. Then at half past, we'll have a chance to get our Hemp Day Hump Day update from Doug Fine, the author of Too High to Fail and Hemp Bound. He'll be joining us by telephone to uh, give us the latest roundup of hemp legislation and politics throughout the United States and the world. Then to close out the show today, uh, one of my favorites, Jerry Goldstein, did his annual presentation at the Normal Aspen Legal Seminar, where he reviews the important Fourth Amendment decisions by the United States Supreme Court. And every year, he goes off on Antonin Scalia uh, for his flip-floppery and ideological inconsistency over the past few decades. Now, with the passing of Justice Scalia, and for that matter, the passing of Muhammad Ali, we get some tributes from Jerry Goldstein with respect to the legacy of Antonin Scalia, especially as it refers to drug law. Then we'll take you into hour two, Toker Talk Radio. We've got a few topics to cover today, including 
my candidate for one of the best marijuana headlines I've ever read. Uh, well, best might not be the right word for it. The most marijuana headline I've ever read. <laughs> the the pottiest headline. The most cannabarific headline. I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with some sort of uh, adjective for that. Also, uh, coming up in that hour, too, we've got uh, some more stories to bring to you, including how... Uh, our friend Tom Angel is uncovering the story of the Las Vegas Review Journal, a major newspaper, now deciding to go onto the prohibitionist side after years of advocating for marijuana legalization. We'll tell you why. That's coming up in hour two. Got a lot to talk about here on the Russ Belleville Show. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your support. Be back in just two minutes with the Cannabis Radio News. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Washington, it has passed. Uh, the, uh, the news organizations are calling it. Tell everybody in the red states how great legal weed is. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Christian convictions are under attack as never before. Okay, maybe you're high too. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, June 8, 2016. Sacramento, California. Numerous local ballot measures in California were decided in last night's primary election. Voters in Sacramento were 1.5 percentage points shy of a two-thirds majority needed to pass a 5% indoor marijuana cultivation tax. 
Nevada County voters overwhelmingly rejected a measure to ban outdoor marijuana cultivation. Meanwhile, Yuba County voters were unwilling to overturn an outdoor cultivation ban or require at least four medical marijuana dispensaries to be licensed within the county. Voters in the city of Davis resoundingly approved a tax of up to 10% on recreational marijuana. However, city leaders have repeatedly said they won't even allow medical or recreational dispensaries. Voters in San Jose overwhelmingly rejected a measure that would have undone the city's local ordinances that only allow marijuana operations in about 1% of the city. Lansing, Michigan. A long-awaited vote on reforms to Michigan's vaguely written medical marijuana laws could happen as soon as this week in the state Senate. The reforms, seeking to add regulations to dispensaries, create a tracking system for plants, and further clarify usable forms of medical marijuana, overwhelmingly passed in the House law last October. But in the seven months since, the reform stalled in the Senate following continued disagreements on a proposed tiered licensing system that was later added. The changes prompted many medical marijuana patient advocates who'd previously been on board, including Robin Schneider with the National Patients' Rights Association, to withdraw support of the bills. The tiered system proposed regulating growers, distributors, and retailers in a way that's similar to how the state regulates alcohol. Schneider contends the tiered system didn't make sense in a situation more aptly comparable to a pharmacy than a liquor store, where doses vary by case and patient. Boston, Massachusetts. The Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court heard two challenges Wednesday to the proposed marijuana legalization initiative in Massachusetts. The first lawsuit alleges that activists have misled voters about the initiative, including a claim by opponents that it would allow for the sale of genetically modified forms of marijuana with THC concentrations of 60% or higher. That lawsuit also claims the ballot question is misleading because it does not talk about food and drink products containing THC. The second lawsuit focuses on the title of the proposed law, Marijuana Legalization. Critics say the title is misleading for a law that does not legalize possession of marijuana by people under 21 and limits its use by people 21 or older. Portland, Oregon. After months of public hearings with pot growers, lawmen, Public health officials and others, an Oregon commission is racing to finalize recreational marijuana regulations and issue licenses to hundreds of businesses within a few months. But those who aim to produce souped-up coffee and other niche products might have to wait a bit longer. The commission has been grappling with its massive task, issues that Colorado and Washington State previously dealt with, including the number of licenses initially offered. Business people have been coming from around the country. Lawmakers recently tossed out a residence-only requirement to try to get a piece of Oregon's cannabis industry that already existed for 18 years with medical marijuana. The commission said it wants at least part of the supply chain ready by year's end. When complete, it will cover production from seed to store and will allow the tracking of marijuana with a computer dashboard using data from radio frequency identification scanners and tags. Denver, Colorado. Neighborhood complaints about pot smell could lead to the first ever revocation of a recreational marijuana grow license in Colorado. Starbuds operates a recreational pot shop located in the Elara Swansea neighborhood with a 240 plant marijuana grow on the second floor. Hearing officer Suzanne A. Facing recommended the denial of Starbuds license for renewal, citing, quote, adverse effects caused by excessive odors, end quote. Bremerton, Washington. 
Pacific Cannabis owner Kathy Hartwell says her business has been getting inconsistent mail delivery from a new mail carrier. She has the video to prove it. Hartwell believes the mail carrier has a personal distaste for marijuana and has been shirking his duties as a postal employee by forcing her and her employees to needlessly travel to the post office to pick up deliveries he should be making. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, June 8th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I said on this program, what do they want? My grandchildren and the monster. Oh, did I scare you? Okay, maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired up lawyer, or email firedaplawyer at gmail.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Well, today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at medical marijuana, the issue as it relates to the presumptive candidates for the Republicans and Democrats, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Before we get to that, some breaking news just took place about a half hour ago as I was getting ready for the show. I missed this one. Sad that I missed it and didn't get it in the headlines. But the big news story, Ohio Governor John Kasich has just signed the medical marijuana law in Ohio, making it the 25th fifth or 26th state with medical marijuana law and uh, the confusion as to why we don't know if it's 26 or 25 in my records I've got Louisiana down as a medical marijuana state thanks to its limited uh, program that was recently signed by Governor John Bell Edwards I don't know that the uh, reporters at cleveland.com are hip to that so they're saying Ohio's the 25th following Pennsylvania being the 24th whatever it might be if we include Louisiana in this count which I'm going to do. We are now looking at a situation where we have 26 states in America, plus the district of Columbia in support of marijuana, uh, of medical marijuana. We recently saw the poll that came out and told us that 80 to 90% of the public supports medical marijuana, depending on 
which demographic you're looking at or which state you're talking to, but you cannot find any less than four out of five people who support medical marijuana. With the addition of Ohio and Louisiana, we now have 55.78% of the population, almost 56% of the population that lives in a medical marijuana state. That's 179 million people living in medical marijuana states. And medical marijuana has now become the issue where the Democrats and the Republicans are almost indistinguishable. As we look back at uh, Donald Trump, it's it's really hard to pin him down on anything because he uh, changes his uh, point of view so easily and really has no elected track record for us to look at as far as what he thinks about medical marijuana. But just judging by his statements, he seems to be uh, okay with it. On a February interview with Bill O'Reilly, he said, in some ways it's good, in other ways it's bad, when he's referring to legalization overall, recreational legalization. But he's also said that he's in favor of medical marijuana. Hillary Clinton on the legalization of marijuana has said that the states are laboratories of democracies. Let's see how Colorado and Washington and Oregon and Alaska turn out. That's kind of her wait and see approach, which is not too dissimilar from the President Obama administration's approach of turning a blind eye and letting legalization happen. So we have a situation here where these two candidates, there's not much daylight between them on the issue. Republicans, other than Donald Trump throughout this campaign, have framed it as a state's rights issue. They've said, well, I, I'm not for legalization myself. I would vote against it in Texas, Ted Cruz said. But if Colorado wants to go that way, they don't want to stop Colorado. Now, that, that makes sense coming from Republicans because they're kind of got themselves trapped in that whole state's rights frame. They don't believe the federal government should be telling people what to do with Obamacare or immigration or abortion or gay marriage or bathrooms or whatever other social issue it might be. So they can't really come out and say the federal government should shut down the uh, legalization in Colorado. In fact, this is something the uber conservative state of Idaho even came up with when their state Senate was voting that marijuana shall always be illegal forever and ever for any reason whatsoever. Yes, they really voted on that, 29 to 3. <laughs> when they were voting on that, at the same time, they voted against calling on the federal government to, to uh, enforce federal laws in Colorado and Washington with respect to marijuana. And again, it's because a lot of these states' rights Republicans don't want to get themselves caught up in denying a state's right for marijuana that could then be used against them in some of their other pet social causes. Hillary Clinton seems to have the same stance on the recreational legalization, not framing it as states' rights, but framing it as Louis Brandeis's, Justice Brandeis's famous laboratories of democracy. Let's see how that all works out. So it's a little less tenuous an uh, ideological position from a democratic point of view, given Democrats tend to be more federalist and more uh, wanting to see those ki kinds of uh, controls. But functionally... It appears to me no different from Donald Trump's stance. Now, on the medical marijuana side, Trump has said medical marijuana is great. Hillary Clinton has said there needs to be more research. But this is a hard statement as well to parse until you know exactly what these two people think medical marijuana is. You and I might think medical marijuana is we can grow a plant in our own home or backyard and use it to treat ourselves. They might think medical marijuana is something like New Jersey's system or Minnesota's system where it's extremely restrictive and 
limited to non-smokable forms of, of cannabinoid medicines. So without anything further to go on, solely on the issue of marijuana and medical marijuana, I can't tell you which way to vote on Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. Solely on that issue, I don't see enough daylight between them to make a distinguishable difference. Unless Trump picks Chris Christie. You can't handle the truth. That would be the deal breaker. If Trump involves Chris Christie in any sort of position in the Department of Justice, DEA, ONDCP, or even the transition team to select those people, then the choice would be clear. You'd have to pick Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. Or you could just vote for Jill Stein, Gary Johnson, or write in Bernie Sanders. I say vote your conscience, and we'll talk about that a little bit now or two. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. We're here with Sir Richard Branson. Far more damage has been done to people by the current approach. Jim McMahon. You know, a lot of the coaches are old school. You know, he used to just yell at us, oh, you bunch of bot smokers. John Popper on the telephone. You know, I think in the 60s there was that kind of, the bigotry wasn't so concrete. It's the Russ Belville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Forming America's marijuana prohibition laws takes education, lobbying, and voting. From Washington, D.C. to your state capitol to your city hall, marijuana law reform involves all levels of civic life. Learn how you can make your impact with elected officials as we take a look at our government at work. This is Natalie Elaine from the Normal Aspen Legal Seminar. I am a family law attorney in Michigan. That's all I practice. I do um, trial work and appellate work. And so it's been fascinating for me to watch this area develop with respect to marijuana as it interrelates with child custody and parenting time issues. Everyone here has probably had some exposure to family law cases if you haven't handled one directly. Um, even in your criminal work, you probably deal with parents and have questions occasionally and maybe refer cases out 
Do any, any other practitioners in your practice family law, custody and divorce work, and then, of course, the abuse neglect segment as well? Great. So if you want to pipe up with your own stories, um, if something resonates with you, I'd love to hear that. I have some particular Michigan anecdotes to share with you. We have a little bit of a better pulse on what's going on locally in the trial court levels in Michigan. And then as it pertains to the national level, I'll share, talk about some cases um, that are out there. However, the dearth of medical marijuana and now, of course, recreational marijuana um, case law is quite evident across the nation, not just in Michigan. There are very, very few appellate cases, published or unpublished, that deal with child custody and parenting time uh, matters as it pertains to marijuana use. So I think the reason for that is pretty identifiable, at least in my view. I believe that parents are really hesitant to be the test case. They would rather stop using, comply with court directives as illegal or unconstitutional as the directives may be. They just don't want to risk losing their children. It is the highest stake out there, perhaps even greater than their own personal freedom. It's important to know when you do uh, talk to clients who need family law advice or run into people who are dealing with the courts as it pertains to family law and medical marijuana, or recreational now, of course, that each state is going to have a different standard, and usually it is set forth in the Medical Marijuana Act or the Marijuana Act itself. And the provisions and the protections that are outlined in the act are going to be the starting point and are very, very critical to understand. So whatever state you're in, that's the starting point that you want to go to is what is the standard in our state? What protections does a parent have? And the language used in the statute is very, very important. I'm knocking things over up here. It's a very crowded podium. So in our state, for example, Michigan, uh, and, and really, I, I haven't found a state this is not true in. The parent is going to have to be in compliance with the Medical Marijuana Act, and I'm going to refer mostly to medical marijuana because the newer states that have legalized recreational are really um, not, you know, there's very little out there with respect to the law as it relates to uh, family law. But in the medical marijuana sense, you've got to be in compliance with the state's act before you're afforded any protection. So that's really important. So that's a really key provision. If you're not doing something right in compliance with the act, you have too many plants, um, you're not storing your medical marijuana properly, or you're smoking around your children, or you're doing any, anything else that violates your particular state's act, you are going to be treated or can be treated under the domestic law just like a regular illegal drug user. So if you are advising a client who is a user or a provider, then go through the steps with them and ensure that they are in full compliance with the act. If you're litigating against a parent who wants the protection of an act or the act uh, who's using or supplying, then you're going to want to test whether that person is in compliance. You really want to make uh, friends, those of you who don't do family law, with a family law attorney. And this is a reversal for me because usually I'm speaking to a room full of family lawyers, and I say make friends with a criminal defense attorney. There really is a very important intersection between the two pieces of law here, the criminal defense arena and the family law arena. So you don't want to go this alone on either side. You want to be really familiar with the law on both sides to make sure that you know how to give the best advice. With this explosion of legalization of medical and recreational marijuana, 
Uh, certainly this has brought to the forefront beliefs and attitudes about the use of marijuana with or without state sanction. This territory is, like I said, pretty untested. And so we're getting very, very wide results as cases percolate through the trial court system and the few that make it up to the appellate court system. I will say I've seen a little bit of a reversal of a trend that I believe is positive. At least that's what I'm going to say. That's what I'm going to hold on to. I'm going to choose to be optimistic that we may be going a little bit away from the figure out how to take these kids away from any parent who uses marijuana in any, any way, shape, or form to we can't be so hasty with this. There are laws that we have to comply with. So that's a really positive trend, and I'll share with you a few very new cases that I believe um, showcase that trend. But as with any new venture, this has raised more questions than answers at this point in time. And the questions we're seeing arise most frequently are, for instance, if a parent is a card-carrying marijuana patient, does this give the parent carte blanche to use their medication at any point in time and in any amount they choose? We don't know the answer to that. Because a doctor's certification, as it's called in Michigan at least, uh, contains no dosage, can the court determine how much a parent should take or use? We've had different answers on that, some of them a little frightening. Can a court order a parent not to use marijuana, medical marijuana, not to medicate at all during parenting time or at all, period? And we have appellate cases that affirm that a court can say you cannot medicate at all, period. Well, of course not, because that's the double standard, right? So the harshness with which marijuana is being treated is incredibly different than what prescription drugs, how prescription drugs are viewed and treated in custody matters, and alcohol. So at this point, I think the pendulum is so far toward anti-marijuana, and we have to protect children at all costs. Hopefully it will swing, but it's nowhere near the treatment of prescription drugs, in my opinion at least. Can a court order a parent to be drug tested? And if so, how can they use the results of those tests? Particularly when we know how long marijuana can show in one system. Can a court remove children from homes in which there is the use of medical or now recreational marijuana? In any event, you'll see in, as I go through these in a moment that there are all sorts of different standards being applied in these domestic cases. There's a law review article I found pretty interesting. Uh, it's 2012 now, but it's called The High Price of Parenting High, Medical Marijuana and Its Effects on Child Custody Matters. It's cited in our materials, but the author of that suggests a conduct-based standard to unify the standard at which this is applied um, to ensure that people may use marijuana to treat medical conditions in accord with state law without fear of losing their children as a result. And I think that's a really rational and reasonable approach um, to take away some of the subjectivity, not that that would fully eliminate it perhaps, but we have to work to take away some of the subjectivity with which this topic is being treated. That's Natalie Elaine, a Michigan family law attorney, talking about the imposition on people's parental rights due to their use of marijuana, even medical marijuana, even in the states where that is legal. 
We still have a lot of work to do. Legalization is only the beginning. We have to end the stigma, end the discrimination, end the separate but equal treatment that we have as cannabis consumers. We won't stop until that happens. This is my 1,701st show toward that end. And uh, tomorrow will be my 100th show on CannabisRadio.com. Stay tuned. Doug Fine is next with our Hemp Day Hump Day update. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high, too. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. legalization also ushers in the return of the American hemp industry. Get the latest news from the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, Doug Fine, in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. Well, folks, sorry to say, but unfortunately, we're not able to connect to uh, Doug Fine. He's out there in the hinterlands of New Mexico somewhere, and uh, we we got an email from him that he would be on today, but uh, wasn't able to make the connection somehow. So we're going to bring you some hemp information from the normal Aspen legal seminar. This is Portland attorney Courtney Moran. In Monson vs. DEA, a circuit 2009, the a circuit concluded under the CSA, marijuana is defined as all cannabis sativa, regardless of the THC concentration. 
The CSA likewise makes no distinction between cannabis grown for drug use and for industrial use. They also noted that the CSA unambiguously bans the cultivation of marijuana regardless of its use. And in footnote four, the court noted, which I pointed out to you in that definition before, the statutory definition of marijuana excludes certain parts of the plant cannabis sativa L, not relevant to this discussion. The court further stated, we find no evidence that Congress intended otherwise than to ban the growth of all C sativa, absent compliance with the federal registration requirement. They confirmed the conclusions of the district court and noted that industrial hemp, as defined by the North Dakota statute, is marijuana. So the courts have been consistent in upholding DEA's interpretation of the definition of marijuana under the Controlled Substances Act to say that it includes all C sativa, does not matter what the THC concentration is, does not matter what the use is, marijuana, industrial hemp, all C sativa, all cultivation is prohibitive absent that federal registration requirement. Now, this has slightly changed in 2014, which we will get to. The other landmark case for industrial hemp is Hemp Industries versus DEA. Now, in 2001, the DEA issued an interpretive rule which stated that all products containing any amount of THC are Schedule I controlled substances. So the manufacturers and distributors that sell industrial hemp products, especially hemp seed, hemp oil, and hemp seed oil cake, appealed this regulation because this regulation would have banned the possession and the sale of any of the products that they had been selling for years. So they filed a suit in the Ninth Circuit, but the Ninth Circuit abstained from considering the merits of the case because DEA had issued only an interpretive rule and not a final rule. But they did conclude that THC naturally occurring with non-psychoactive hemp products did not fall within the DEA's regulation. Then in 2003, the DEA did finally issue final rules, which exempted from control non-psychoactive hemp products that contain trace amounts of THC that are not intended for human consumption. So all of these retailers and manufacturers, if any of their products were you know, hemp foods, for example, still prohibited. So still an issue with any hemp products intended for human consumption. So once DEA had issued these final rules, the Ninth Circuit considered the merits of the case. The Ninth Circuit concluded, under the Chevron standards, Congress did not regulate non-psychoactive industrial hemp in Schedule One. The Ninth Circuit looked to whether the DEAs followed appropriate procedures in trying to classify non-psychoactive industrial hemp products as a controlled substance, and they held that the DEA's action is not a mere classification of industrial hemp, or of THC, excuse me, regulations, it improperly renders naturally occurring non-psychoactive hemp illegal for the first time. The Ninth Circuit concluded DEA cannot regulate naturally occurring THC not contained within or derived from marijuana. Non-psychoactive hemp products, because non-psychoactive hemp is not included in Schedule One. DEA did not appeal this decision to the Supreme Court. So HIA versus DEA, the 2004 case, Hemp 2, confirmed the legality of industrial hemp products, even for products intended for human consumption. So we do not have a split between the circuits. First and Eighth Circuits say industrial hemp cultivation is illegal absent the federal registration. The Ninth Circuit says 
industrial hemp products are legal. They didn't even touch on the cultivation issue. So any hemp products that you can find in any store, those are all legal products. They always have been. This case confirmed that. It's the cultivation that is the issue. Now, despite these rulings in the First and Eighth Circuit, states started to legalize hemp in 1999 after, in 1998, Canada legalized full commercial cultivation. Now, North Dakota is right on the border of Canada. There are farmers in northern North Dakota that saw, hey, half a mile away from me, there are farmers growing industrial hemp. They are making economic profits from this crop. Why can't I grow this? So seeing that economic potential in 1999, North Dakota became the first state to re-legalize industrial hemp. 2002, Montana, West Virginia. 2008, Vermont. 2009, Maine and Oregon. 2012, Colorado. 2013, Kentucky and California. This is only nine states over 14 years. Now in August of of 2013, the Department of Justice issued the Cole Memo outlining the aid enforcement priorities in regards to marijuana in response to Washington and Colorado legalizing adult-use marijuana. Congressman Blumenauer in Oregon, he has been a champion for all cannabis, uh, federally and in the state of Oregon, and he wrote a letter to the Oregon uh, Department of Justice saying, well, shouldn't this Cole Memo apply to industrial hemp if DEA considers the definition of marijuana to say all cannabis sativa? So U.S. Attorney Amanda Marshall responded, since industrial hemp is marijuana under the CSA, these eight enforcement priorities do apply to industrial hemp just as they do for all forms of cannabis. Federal prosecutors will remain aggressive when it comes to protecting these eight priorities. So in Oregon specifically, this really did help move our program along. Uh, We had legalized back in 2009, and it wasn't until after the issuance of this memo that the Department of Agriculture began uh, putting together a rules advisory committee. A year later, we finally had licenses in place, and we were able to cultivate last year. Then the Agricultural Act of 2014 came into play. And in the Farm Bill, there is um, a provision outlining industrial hemp research. So since uh, February 7th of 2014, when President Obama signed into law the Agricultural Act of 2014, we have been able to conduct research of industrial hemp. So the provisions of the Farm Bill provide that state departments of agriculture and institutions of higher education are authorized to conduct industrial hemp research and agricultural pilot programs for industrial hemp research, including market research. What Congress also did, which is very important, is they defined industrial hemp. This is the first time industrial hemp has been defined in federal law. And again, as I mentioned this earlier, it's defined as this arbitrary 0.3% THC concentration. But at least we're getting somewhere. In response, since February of 2014, 18 states have legalized some form of industrial hemp cultivation. You'll see I have listed on here, some states have legalized only research as is is compliant with the Agricultural Act of 2014, but some states have legalized full commercial cultivation. And this is really significant. There's so much media attention around marijuana uh, adult use legalization. Four states have legalized, DC has legalized, but in two years, 18 states have legalized industrial hemp cultivation. Where's the media attention around that? 
Now, pursuant to the provisions in the Agricultural Act of 2014, there are at least 20 universities that are engaging in industrial hemp research. There are likely more. However, these universities still have to comply with the DEA registration requirement. So all of these universities, if they are planning to import viable hemp seeds, they have had to go through the DEA registration process, go through the import procedure process, which takes a very long time. DEA, uh, you know, has been hesitant, but has granted these licenses or these registrations. Now, I don't know if any of you are familiar, uh, back in 2014, Kentucky tried to implement their industrial hemp research program. They purchased seeds for their farmers in uh, from Italy. They had the seeds imported at the border. DEA seeds the seeds. Customs held on to them. A lawsuit was filed after some negotiations. They were finally able to get the seeds back and were able to plant. But DEA is trying to seize control over industrial hemp, any aspect that they can, despite the allowance that has been granted in the Agricultural Act. Now, Congress... While they have not uh, enacted the Industrial Hemp Farming Act, it is a bill that has been put before Congress six different times. It is a companion bill right now going through the uh, U.S. legislature, unlikely to actually gain any traction. However, to protect the provisions that they put in place in the Agricultural Act, they um, started putting in protections in the appropriations bills, similar to what they have done for medical marijuana in the last two appropriations bills. So in the 2015 Consolidated and Further Continuing Appropriations Act, they put in Section 539, which prohibits any funds from DEA or DOJ to be used in contravention of Section 7606, which is that research provision. In 2016, they enacted a similar rider in that provision, but they also put in an additional rider, which is very helpful for any uh, farmers that are or processors trying to engage in market research, which is authorized under the Farm Bill. So Section 760, excuse me, Section 763 removes any federal funding from any federal agency that interferes with the research provisions under the Agricultural Act but also any funds that would be used to prohibit the transportation, processing, sale, or use of industrial hemp that is grown or cultivated in compliance with the Farm Bill, but within or outside the state. So as we already discussed, hemp products are legal. The issue is the cultivation. But this allows very clearly for transportation across state lines. Okay, it doesn't allow it. It removes any uh, funding from agencies to interfere with that transportation, which is very significant. So this is going to be coming into play this summer and this upcoming fall when farmers that are going to be harvesting their plants want to send their uh, crops across state lines for processing. Courtney Moran, a Portland attorney and expert in industrial hemp, delivering her remarks at the Normal Aspen Legal Seminar just this last weekend. We're going to take a very short break here and get right back to Aspen with remarks from Jerry Goldstein, the famed San Antonio criminal defense attorney, his remarks on the passing of Muhammad Ali and Justice Antonin Scalia. You won't want to miss this one. Then coming up in hour two, we got all sorts of other stories to tell you about the most cannabisy headline of the year and a report on the Las Vegas Review Journal. All that coming up in hour two. Stay tuned. 
This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Every year at the normal Aspen Legal Seminar, Jerry Goldstein delivers this presentation. After my brief discussion, and by the way, I can do this, I promise Keith, in two and a half hours, uh, We'll be going out to Owl Farm, uh, which was the residence of the patron saint and poet laureate of our movement, uh, a good friend and an old client. Uh, many of you may not know this, but he is a son of Louisville. And yesterday, we lost another giant uh, from Louisville, uh, who's... Who actually epitomized uh, righteousness uh, in the face of oppression. He was a black male, and he was an eloquent champion for justice, uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, my hat's off to him. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Supremes, as we often do, uh, and Keith has made me promise to at least try and stick with the Fourth Amendment, and we're going to be talking about what's hot and what's not. Uh, this year, this term, and perhaps much of next term, is going to be different. It already is. Uh, and that's the reason. And you'll have heard me go on and on about Justice Scalia. Well, we're going to talk about his legacy. And I'll try and not be as harsh and hard as I have been out of respect for those who are no longer with us. Uh, but he was a, a court of one. He was a strident voice, caustic, uh, intelligent, often humorous, uh, dealt with cutting-edge issues, abortion, same-sex marriage, affordable health care, Obamacare, right to bear arms, campaign spending, the death penalty. He was strident about all these, whether in the majority or in the defense, and he could rarely... He could really withhold comment, and it was a cervic interesting comment at that. Now, just on the humorous side, public nudity. This is Barnes versus Glenn Theater, a uh, uh, case that came out of Indiana. Perhaps the dissenters believe that offense to others ought to be the only reason for restricting nudity in public places. However, I think the purpose of the Indiana's nudity law would be violated if 60,000 fully consenting adults crowded into the Hoosier Dome to display their genitals to one another, even if there was not an offended innocent in the house. He likes this kind of public accommodation. Are there any golfers here? Uh, not many in our crowd, but I will tell you that uh, this, this was about a, a golfer, a professional golfer who uh, wanted to avail himself 
of the ADA, uh, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, and he wanted to use a golf cart. And, of course, in the PGA, you had to walk uh, between shots. Scalia dissents from the application. He says, I am sure that the framers of the Constitution, <clears throat> aware of the 1457 edict of King James II of Scotland, prohibiting golf because it interfered with the practice of archery, fully expected that sooner or later the paths of golf and government, the law and the links, would once again cross, and the judges of this august court would someday have to wrestle with the age-old jurisprudential question for which their years of study in the law have so well prepared them. Is someone riding around in a golf cart actually a golfer? <laughs> That's part of the opinion. He, pardon? Uh, he, he was definitely... Uh, often on a golf cart, uh, and and uh, usually carried something more uh, devastating than a nine-hour, uh, which some of the people here are well aware of. Uh, sausage, uh, he points out in Community Nutrition Institute versus Block, uh, this case involving legal requirements for the content and labeling of meat products such as frankfurters affords a rare opportunity to explore simultaneously both parts of Bismarck's aphorism that no man should see how laws or sausages are made. <laughs> I would suggest probably a Supreme Court majority opinion uh, on the eight-person court today as well. Uh, let's go ugly. Uh, Scalia on the death penalty. He professed no innocent has ever been executed. You know, at, in every case, some fucking Jewish lawyer is going to take it up and, you know, we're going to save the guy's ass. It should be noted at the outset that the dissent does not discuss a single case, not one, in which it is clear that a person was executed for a crime he did not commit. If such an event had occurred in recent years, we would not have to hunt for it. The innocent's name would be shouted from the rooftops by the abolition law lobby. Well, Cameron Todd Willingham, a case that Barry Sheck and I are intently uh, working on today, uh, hopefully we will place our second Texas judge in jail. Uh, Collins versus, hang on, it gets better. Collins, Collins versus, this is Collins versus Collins. Kind of, I guess, some kind of bodily fluid. Justice Blackman, this is when Justice Blackman made that, that famous, uh, uh, dissent. From this day forward, I no longer shall tinker with the machinery of death. Rather than continue to coddle the court's delusion that the desired level of fairness has been achieved, I feel obligated simply to concede that the death penalty experiment has failed. Scalia's response, the death penalty, death by injection, which Justice Blackman describes, looks pretty desirable next to a lot of the other cases we've got before us. And he cites a particular case of this 11-year-old girl who's been raped by four individuals and then choked to death by placing her panties uh, uh, in, in her mouth uh, and suffocating her. And they, he says, how enviable a quiet death by lethal injection compared with that. The individual he was speaking about was Henry Lee McCollum. Had he had his way, Henry Lee would no longer be with us. As it turns out, two years later, Henry Lee McCollum was exonerated by DNA. One has to wonder. Uh, this is a quote from him in that same case. Mere actual innocence is no reason not to carry out a death sentence properly reached. I'm sorry, mere actual innocence? What the fuck are our courts doing? That, that ought to be the, the core of what they are concerned about. There's no reason not to carry out. A, well, it's not properly reached if the person is actually innocent, no matter how we get there. Uh, the immediate impact. 
of Scalia's absence. I, I, I was never good at math or I would have become a doctor like Dr. Hart and y'all wouldn't have to put up with my bullshit. Uh, but arithmetic is what it's all about this term and probably most of the next term. We've got eight justices. Uh, it reminds you of, of Justice Brennan's famous quote. He said, when it comes to constitutional rights, the most important skill required of each justice is the ability to count to five. No question about that. Well, here's some breaking news. Two weeks ago, there was a 4-4 split. In it, a, the 11th Circuit, had grant, believe it or not, the 11th Circuit had granted a stay of execution for Vernon Madison. Uh, by 4-4, this is the division. We're going to be seeing this all a lot. By 4-4, and if you notice in another case, an important case, uh, involving uh, the uh, health care uh, and contraception. The court, in a, in a almost unanimous decision, sent it back to the circuit court asking them to see if the p folks couldn't compromise, if we couldn't find a way to deal with this, realizing they couldn't do it themselves. Uh, that same week, by the way, uh, Foster versus Georgia, it has nothing to do with Scalia, but this is a Batson challenge. They, these, uh, in Georgia, imagine that, they struck all the blacks. Uh, the Chief Justice, writing for uh, a majority of seven, by the way, uh, Alito didn't participate, so it was a seven-to-one decision. Roberts describes the reasons, the race-neutral reasons these prosecutors, or we should say persecutors, use. He called them misrepresentations, false, nonsense, pre pretextual, not credible. I think that means lying sack of shit. Mischaracterizations of the record, reeked of afterthought. The sole defense was the only African-American on our Supreme Court. And in Scalia-like language, he says the court today invites state prisoners to go searching for new evidence by demanding the files of the prosecutors. Imagine that. We want the files of the prosecutors. Well, let me just tell you, have we not been able to get the files of the prosecutors? This man, Michael Martin, would still be serving life in prison without parole for the brutal death of his wife. Uh, and without the, the files of the prosecutors, we wouldn't have been able to take Judge Anderson, we've talked about this before, uh, to task uh, where he was found guilty of contempt, uh, sentenced to jail and disbarred. We need the access to this kind of discovery. Uh, and Brother Grissom came to us the other day and, and exposed his soul. We need more prosecutors uh, than we do persecutors. We need folks that are there for justice, uh, like our good friend. That's Jerry Goldstein, the renowned defense attorney, speaking at the normal Aspen Legal Seminar. And I'll have that full audio, uh, it's about an hour long, posted up to my SoundCloud page by the weekend. Got the rest of the audio processed as well, and we'll get those links up and available to you. You'll also be able to find them through normal.org and marijuana.com. For everyone here in beautiful, scorching Scottsdale, Arizona, at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for Hour 2, and don't forget, coming up at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, the brand new episode of the Tommy Chong Podcast, exclusively here on CannabisRadio.com. Tommy and Paris Chong talking the latest about cannabis, marijuana, hemp, ganja, herb, bud, spliff, weed, grass, whatever you like to call it. Tommy and Paris are talking about it. Thanks for joining us, and until next time... Take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show.
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tope. I inhale. Uh, frequently. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the animal man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, everybody. It's hour two, Toker Talk Radio, coming to you live from scorching Scottsdale, Arizona. What is the temperature out there right now? Uh, I'll check the uh, check the phone, see what it tells me. I know it's over a hundred. I just want to know how much over. Oh, the phone's not going to tell me. Is that is that the way we're going to be today? giving me the weather in Flint because this weekend I will be in Flint, Michigan uh, for the Cannabis Cup and uh, that will be at the Clio Auto City Speedway. So I hope to see you out there. It also means that there won't be a live show on Friday because it's my travel day on Friday. So we'll get you a live show tomorrow and then we'll be off Friday as I make my way to Clio, Michigan. And then... After that weekend in Michigan, I'll be in New York for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at the Javits Center for the Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo. And then from Michigan on that Thursday, I fly to San Francisco and will be at the Cow Palace for the Northern California Cannabis Cup. I'll also be presenting at that one. So I hope to see you there. And then following that weekend on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in Oakland, California, the 20th through the 22nd will be the National Cannabis Industry Association Expo. So I'll be out at that. And then starting on the 24th, I'm taking the rest of June off because June 24th is my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. 
That's right. They've been married for 50 years. And in some news, uh, my mom asked me to officiate a vow renewal ceremony for them. So I have now become a minister. (laughs) Yes. I went to the Universal Life Church and I signed up to become an ordained minister in the Universal Life Church. Now, this is one of them online, you know, minister mills, right? It's not like it's a brick and mortar church anywhere. And it's not like they have any one specific dogma. In fact, they uh, recognize all sorts of faith. There are flying spaghetti monster uh, ministers and there are Jedi ministers and <laughs> they got pagans and druids and and then all the, the standard ones too. They got the Christians and the Buddhists and the Islam and, and Judaism and so on. So it's, it's really open for anybody. Uh, and you can also get yourself an honorary doctorate of divinity. So I think I'm going to do that as well so that, uh, henceforth I shall be known as the Reverend Dr. Radical Russ Belleville. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my religion. Well, it should be obvious, right? Rustafarianism. <laughs> uh, Rustafarianism. That's right. A, a religion of one. Uh, anyway, let's get to what I consider the most cannabinerific headline of the year, if not the decade. This is the headline from the Associated Press. Room of pot goes up in smoke in fire at home on high street. <laughs> Normally I don't like the pop fun headlines. You know, something goes up in smoke, but here it's not a pun. There was literally smoke. <laughs> so it did literally go up in smoke. Right. And there was a fire and, and it was a room full of pot in a house on high street. <laughs> So uh, the Wayne County Sheriff's Office uh, were called to the home at 5 a.m. Tuesday. Smoke coming from a locked office upstairs. 40 to 50 potted marijuana plants under grow lights in the room. Fire started, believed to be started, by an electrical malfunction. Man who lives there was charged with misdemeanor count of unlawful growing of marijuana plants. (laughs) Oh, what a shame. All right, when we come back, we're going to tell you a little bit about Sheldon Adelson, what the Nevada billionaire has been up to lately to fight weed. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. 
the state of cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Just about nine after the hour, and I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Nevada. Now, you know, uh, Nevada's got marijuana legalization on the ballot. This is kind of flying under the radar for some people, but they will vote this fall on marijuana legalization in Nevada. Now, I've got some problems with a little bit of this, this marijuana legalization initiative, primarily that it's got the odious 25-mile halo rule that says you can't home grow marijuana if you live within 25 miles of a licensed pot shop. In other words, a city. (laughs) You can't grow if you live in a city. Let's just be clear about that. But uh, still, uh, marijuana legalization that allows consumers, what I'm looking for is a a test, right? I've got this series of tests, and, and it's in order of priority. Number one, can I have marijuana? Like, can I have it and smoke it and not get busted for it, not be harassed for it, not be ticketed for it, not be searched for it, not have any suspicion that I'm up to anything illegal, not have to give it up to a cop who catches me with it? If Can I have it? Can I smoke pot? That's the number one thing that has to exist. That's the deal breaker. If that doesn't exist, there's no point in talking about the rest of it. Number two, can I buy pot? Right? Not much use being able to have it if you got no way to get it. Got to be some way for you to be able to buy pot. Number three, can I grow pot? Now, two and three are kind of, you got to have one of the two of those. I've either got to have a place to buy the pot or you got to let me grow the pot. I personally would prefer a place to buy the pot because I think more people, more consumers are served by that. I think there's a, that most people are not good growers and don't want to grow. So by just the slightest of margins, I put that as number two. Can I buy pot ahead of number three? Can I grow pot? That was a little bit of the decision-making pro- process that got me to supporting Washington's I-502. Now, that's not to say that the home grow isn't important. It is important. Home grow, as Keith Strop has always said, is the mechanism by which we constrain corporations and governments into providing high quality, low priced marijuana. If your weed sucks or it costs too much, we'll just grow our own. Right. And here's the other thing as to why can I buy it is ahead of, can I grow it? Because we're growing it now. It's already illegal now to grow it. 
right? So if you're a if you're a consumer who wants to have marijuana and wants to grow marijuana, you've been, you've been able to do that legally for a while. Having to buy marijuana is a little tougher to come by because you got to find a guy and there's no selection. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that the the legality of being able to purchase opens up so much more for so many more than the legality of being able to grow. So that's my, that's my three in a row, right? Can I have it and smoke it? Can I buy it? And the corollary of that, can I sell it? Right. And, and that's not an unimportant corollary because you know, that was part of the problem with the Ohio thing is too many people thought they wouldn't be able to sell it. But anyway, Number one, can I have it, use it, possess it? Number two, can I buy it? Number three, can I grow it? Number four, can I be treated equally? Now, number four is not a deal breaker. Number four is just something that enhances or detracts from the overall vote for these things. When you think about the progress on major civil rights issues, it takes a long time. You know, we didn't jump from the Emancipation Proclamation to interracial marriage to electing a black president all within the 19th century, right? Took 160 years. So you don't reject the Emancipation Proclamation just because it doesn't include interracial marriage. You don't reject uh, uh, a civil rights victory if it's not perfect. You take the good. You take as much of the good as you can. So in the case of Something like Washington's I-502, number one was fulfilled, I can have and smoke marijuana. Number two was fulfilled, I can buy marijuana. Number three was not fulfilled, I can't grow marijuana. And number four was actually a detriment. I was treated less equally after I-502 because of the imposition of a five nanogram per se DUID, to which there's no uh, equivalent for alcohol drinkers. But because I had one and two, even though three and four were neutral and bad, one and two were positive and good, and I had to go for it. So we've got this initiative in, I kind of went on a tangent here, because we got this initiative in Nevada that's got that 25-mile halo. And I was just trying to say, even as bad as that is, it's not like I'm going to say no, vote against legalization in Nevada. Okay, so obviously, being able to possess marijuana in Nevada, being able to buy it in a shop on the, on the strip, even, and you know some casinos are going to get into this action somehow. They're going to set up some sort of room I believe this will happen. There'll be some sort of room you can go to where you can smoke weed, gamble. They're going to get that figured out. Maybe not soon. But anyway, so Nevadans will be voting on marijuana legalization. And the lead paper, newspaper in Las Vegas is the Las Vegas Review Journal. And for years, the Las Vegas Review Journal has been good on this issue. When we look back until uh, as recently as December, and this is great reporting, Tom Angel from uh, Marijuana.com says that even back in December, it criticized the Postal Service for threatening newspapers that print ads for cannabis businesses. You know, that deal it came out of Oregon, right? Where they said, hey, look, if you, uh, you send a magazine through the mail that's got ads for Schedule One substances, you could be committing a federal felony. And in December, the Las Vegas Review-Journal said that's bullshit. In November, they said that presidential candidates should endorse the removal of marijuana from Schedule 1, saying it's an important and long overdue to start changing the costly trajectory of our failed war on drugs. In another piece, they wrote, marijuana is mainstream and there's no turning back. 
back in 2002. 2002. We're talking 14 years ago before any state had ever legalized. Nevada had legalization on the ballot in 2002. The Review Journal wrote that it would give voters, quote, an opportunity to bring sanity to the state's overly burdensome drug enforcement policy and would end the needless harassment of individuals who peacefully and privately use marijuana, including seriously ill patients who should have some legal protection, not to mention peace of mind, because they're covered by the medical marijuana program, end quote. In a piece from last year, uh, they said this editorial page has long supported the decriminalizing, regulating and taxing the sale of currently illegal drugs. This position is taken not only because of the supreme cost related to policing, prosecuting and incarcerating drug offenders, not to mention the tragic and preventable cost in human lives, but also due to the inescapable fact that no amount of government pressure has ever reduced demand for illegal drugs in the United States. In fact, it has done the exact opposite, end quote. Great newspaper, right? Fantastic editorial board, major American city newspaper calling for the decriminalization of all drugs, the legalization of marijuana, the support for medical marijuana, uh, insisting that the federal government back off of its prosecution of marijuana. And then Sheldon Adelson comes in. Sheldon Adelson has purchased the paper. Sheldon Adelson purchased this newspaper back in December. Now, Adelson is the operator of the Sands Casino in Las Vegas and one of the richest people on earth. He's not only against legalizing marijuana, he's against legalizing medical marijuana. He was the guy that contributed $4.5 million to the campaign against Florida's medical marijuana just two years ago, helping to defeat that measure. So what has happened lately? Well, Sheldon Adelson bought the paper and then took the editorial board to visit a drug treatment facility. And so now it has issued the following statement. An editorial in today's Las Vegas Review Journal says, quote, legalizing weed would jeopardize the health of countless Nevadans, expose more people to drug abuse and addiction, put excessive stress on the state's health care facilities, and do little to relieve the state's bloated prison population. End quote. Wow. A complete flip-flop. A 100%, 180-degree flip-flop. A complete repudiation of every editorial they've ever written on this subject after getting bought out by a billionaire. When they were collecting signatures for this very initiative, the editorial board said, quote, it's an important step forward in fixing a failed policy. If you're presented with the position and you're a registered voter, sign it. They also said, as with gay marriage, public opinion has shifted on recreational marijuana. Polls show a majority of Americans recognize the futility of prohibition and would rather see governments collect taxes on the sale of the drug. Yeah. And they get bought out by this conservative billionaire. And the next thing you know, it's going to jeopardize the health of Nevadans. Drug abuse, addiction, stress on the health care. A complete flip-flop. I, I don't know how you guys working at the Review Journal can manage to sleep at night or to have any measure 
lacking, you're just lacking any measure of integrity in this situation. You just don't want to get fired. You don't want to lose your jobs. What good was your editorial policy before if it can just be switched with the, the introduction of a new owner? And we're not talking about him firing the previous editorial staff and bringing in new people that are anti-pot. These are the same editors, the same writers, the same editorial board. Shame on them. Shame on them for their flip-flop. Maybe we should start at 420, right? <laughs> Marijuana reference. All right. Thank you, Homer, because it is 420 right here in Scottsdale, Arizona, where the temperature is 106 degrees. <laughs> We're going to take a break and try to stay cool. Got a safety meeting we got to get to. Hope your safety meeting goes well. Stick around. We're back in two minutes. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. The cannabis industry is growing, business is booming, and as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your cannabis business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details.
army pirates here. <laughs> You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 23 after the hour, and we are back here at uh, Cannabis Radio in Scottsdale, Arizona. Got another day here tomorrow, and then Friday we'll be flying out for another extended road trip. I'll be out for the rest of the month. (laughs) Yeah, people ask me where I'm from. Where are you based? They'll say, where are you based? And I'll say, the United States. (laughs) Because really, this this year, since... I'm going to say February, beginning of February. I don't think I've spent an entire week in one place. I'm trying to think, but I don't think I've been in one place for an entire week. Maybe Portland over a 10-day period, maybe, but uh, not much. I'm pretty much living on the road, folks. Hey, other uh, updates. Don't forget, coming up at the top of the hour, 5 o'clock Pacific time, 8 o'clock Eastern time. The latest episode, brand new episode of the Tommy Chong podcast is right here exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. Tommy Chong and his son, Paris Chong, talking about the issues that matter to the cannabis community coming up on the Tommy Chong podcast. Um, Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. Not five o'clock. Five o'clock is Stoner Jesus. Oh, I feel terrible. I said five o'clock in the first hour. Five o'clock is Stoner Jesus live and then six o'clock is the Tommy Chong podcast, 6 o'clock Pacific and 9 o'clock Eastern time. Stoner Jesus and then Tommy Chong to wind up your hump day. We're uh, closing in on the, on the National Cannabis Industry Association event as well and just got a message from uh, Coleco wanting to set up some interviews. We'll get that set up for you, Coleco. Hope you're listening out there. I also got to talk a little bit about the... Uh, <laughs> Ah, about the primaries yesterday. We're going to go a little off the war path here, talk a little politics outside of the marijuana world. And of course, yesterday was the final Super Tuesday with six states to vote. The last gasp effort for the Bernie Sanders campaign to come through big, and it just didn't happen. Hillary Clinton won California. What was it, 57% that she won California? And she also ended up winning New Mexico, South Dakota, and New Jersey. And New Jersey was expected. I was a little surprised by South Dakota and New Mexico, to be honest. I thought those would uh, turn up. And they were close. They were like 51-49s, so they were really close anyway. And then Bernie won Montana and North Dakota, which wasn't surprising at all. And this puts the point where Hillary Clinton has, you know, clinched enough pledged delegates that she's got the majority of them. So there's no Democratic reason for the superdelegates to overturn the will of the voters. It's not like they both came in without the majority. They, you know, she's got the majority. She's won more states. She's won more primaries, won more caucuses. Uh, you know, everything that she needed to do, she's done. And, and we could talk about, you know, the unfairness, the impropriety, the thumb on the scales by Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, when it comes to this. Um, but, you know, you can complain about the refs, but you still got to win the game, right? And I'm afraid Bernie just hasn't won the game. And now making this this play that he, you know, the play that he was making was that, 
you know, had he won five out of six of those last contests and won California especially, then there's a case to be made that, hey, look, I got the momentum and I pull better against Trump. So you ought to, you know, this, and this is what superdelegates were made for, was to protect the Democratic Party from nominating a weak candidate because the candidate does well in the primaries but would do lousy in the general. And that's exactly what Hillary, Hillary Clinton is. So that was a case I was behind. I was, I was behind that as the last gasp effort. That's something I could get behind. But now, without winning California, and, and not only to lose California, had it been close, had it been 51-49, you could possibly still make that argument. But man, 57-43, that's a 14-point loss. That's hard. You know, that's a pretty strong exclamation point. Hard to make the case that you need to overturn the will of the voters in this case. Now, Bernie is soldiering on. And I believe he's soldiering on to have an impact over the party platform, over the selection of a vice presidential candidate. There's some rumors going around about it being Elizabeth Warren, how uh, Majority Leader uh, Harry Reid would really like to see it be Elizabeth Warren. You know, you put Hillary Clinton and Elizabeth Warren on a ticket together, and come October, if there is an indictment against Hillary then I could get behind that ticket with the idea that she'd have to drop out and Elizabeth Warren would have to take over. I could accept that. That would be great. But the way I see it is that the Democrats have given us a nominee who's pro-war, pro-Wall Street, pro-death penalty, pro-free trade, pro-fracking, pro-regime change, pro-corporations, pro-super PACs, pro-government secrecy, a candidate who launders foreign money for arms deals and uranium speculators, who moves PAC money to buy superdelegates, who requires evolving to support basic human rights for gay people, who needs more research on medical marijuana, and someone who's just barely coming around to not supporting the mass incarceration of so-called super predators. And I'm sorry, I just, I can't get on board with that. I can't put my mark next to her name as my permission to act in my name to someone who's got that sort of background and sort of record. I'm sorry. I mean, I'll gladly acknowledge that Hillary's good on women's issues, unless, of course, they're Saudi Arabian women, but, you know, they've got the oil. So, And, and yeah, sure, Hillary's great on children's issues. She, she created the children's health insurance program. That's great. Great on the children's issues, and unless, of course, they're you know, a Syrian kid getting drone bombed or a Syrian refugee kid drowning or something, right? And look, I'm, I'm proud that America could be transferring power from the first black president to the first woman president. That's great. Even if it was preordained by having Hillary's 2008 campaign director running the party's election process to the benefit of Hillary. I can even accept that She's got an accomplished resume. There's, and she's certainly qualified resume-wise, even approved by Henry Kissinger and Dick Cheney. I mean, so clearly she's got the bona fides. But I'm sorry, I just can't put my name on the side of the woman who enabled a Honduran coup to overturn a democratically elected government, who slashed the Haitian minimum wage 
from like it was, it was they were going to raise it to 64 cents an hour. She had it got it cut down to 31 cents an hour to help her corporate friends there. She gleefully enjoys killing other heads of state. Remember her little giggle about uh, Gaddafi? We came, we saw, he died. <laughs> I mean, she's coddled the Wall Street criminals. She's in their pocket for $225,000 a speech. She slut-shamed Monica Lewinsky and every other one of Bill Clinton's sexual assault victims who's spoken out against it. She, she laughed about once freeing a child rapist back when she was a lawyer. She was on Walmart's board of directors, didn't do a whole lot to fix Walmart's corporate culture or treatment of women. She hides her work at state from Freedom of Information Act requests by risking national security with a home email server for convenience. I mean, this is a lady who flip-flops more than a trout on a riverbank. I just can't get behind her. And, and, and this whole thing just reeks to me. You know, this whole election process just reeks to me. I mean, my tinfoil hat tells me that Donald Trump was just manufactured by the Clintons so she could have an opponent she could actually beat. I don't know. I think Donald's ego is a little too big for that, but who knows? I mean, I'm, rem- I'm reminded this whole election, this whole thing now, you know, Democrats are saying, oh, we've got to unite and get behind the... Get behind Hillary and mend the fractured Democratic Party. Look, folks, a lot of us who are Bernie supporters were never in the Democratic Party. There's nothing to, there's no fracture because we are not part of your piece of glass. <laughs> we were on the outside. We only came to the Democratic Party because you finally nominated one. You finally had one running, I should say. You finally had a Democrat running, a Democrat in the model of FDR. A Democrat who actually stands up for the people against the wealthy interests, who stands up for labor against management, who stands up for the poor and the sick against the wealthy and the powerful. So, yeah, healing the Democratic Party would be to bring us in. Try and bring us in here. And you're not going to do it by threatening us. There was a cover of the National Lampoon in 1973, National Lampoon magazine had a dog on the cover and a hand from coming out of frame with a gun up against the dog's head. The dog's looking sideways at the gun. And the cover reads, if you don't buy this magazine, we'll kill this dog. Well, in this metaphor, Trump is the gun and the dog is America. And we're told by the DNC, vote for Hillary or the dog gets it. Well, no, I won't. I won't be extorted with the threats of President Trump and his two or three Supreme Court picks either. I mean, look at it like this. Is, if Trump is supposed to be the most horrible, out-of-his-depth, racist, criminal, loser, asshole, huckster ever to sit in the Oval Office, if we're supposed to be afraid that that's the situation, oh my God, there'll be terrible, terrible results if Trump is president, then how is it that the Congress and the people are just going to sit idly by while he rampages through Washington? See, I lived through the first President Clinton, and I seem to recall the government itself being shut down and the president being impeached over a blowjob. Something that didn't affect his work whatsoever. Hell, you could make the argument. It may have made his work easier. 
So you want me to believe that the Congress could get together to put together articles of impeachment over lying over a blowjob, but they'd be powerless to stop the rampaging Trump? Really? Hell, Trump's got enough on his background already to qualify as high crimes and misdemeanors worthy enough of impeachment. The Republicans already don't like him, and the longer he stays in office spouting off his racist tirades, the worse the GOP brand becomes, especially as America keeps becoming younger, browner, and more female. So they're gonna they're not gonna want him around for, for very long if he continues to destroy the brand. And f- we all know the Democrats aren't gonna want him around. Are you trying to tell me that between the Democratic and the Republican leadership, they couldn't actually come up with articles of impeachment to get rid of a terrible Trump? Hell, this Trump University case may be enough. And imagine if Trump's in for just two years. And in 2018, America is so pissed off and fed up with Trump that they elect a Democratic Congress, both House and Senate. And they start to turn some of those state houses Democratic as well. And imagine that by 2020, we get that new census and this Democratic Congress and these Democratic state houses can start redrawing some of those house boundaries that the, that the Republicans gerrymandered in 2010 and in 2000. I mean, after two years of Trump, we could end up with a Democratic Congress, Democratic House, and then impeach that bastard. <laughs> end up with whoever is vice presidential pick. And that might be, this will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see who Trump picks as a vice president. Because, like, I, I have to think that he's going to pick somebody to act as insurance against impeaching him. Like, who could Trump pick that would make people think, yeah, we could get rid of Trump, but then we'd be left with, (laughs) who who would that be? You know, Sarah Palin comes to mind, but I don't know who else uh, would really work in that position. (laughs) Let's bring Sarah back out of mouthballs. Wouldn't that be fun? The Trump-Palin ticket? Let's do that. That'll be great. And imagine after that big electoral drubbing, that we get around, and the other thing too is is that Donald Trump is a blowhard, but he doesn't know shit about government. So Donald Trump's just going to be an empty suit for whatever handlers he gets in there into the White House. And if the Republican Party has any control over how that unfolds, then what we end up with Trump is more like another Reagan, a figurehead, a speaker. And not some sort of evil villain that's going to try to take down America. Now, there's a lot of bad things that happened during the Reagan years, I'll admit. But there were some good things, too. But imagine that Trump being there and taking at their prediction that Trump will be this terrible, awful blight on America. Then come 2020, after that 2018 electoral referendum with the Democratic House and Democratic Senate, And then come 2020, the Democrats nominate somebody good like Elizabeth Warren. Imagine the Republicans having to face a 2020 election with an even browner, even younger, even less Republican demographic in 2020 than already. 
after four years of Trump alienating all those groups. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised to see Trump not run for reelection. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Republicans primary him if they don't go as far as impeaching him in his first term, which I think would be likely. Now, when we talk about this stuff, when we talk about this, the Democrats have this have a Trump card, literally a Trump card. And that is that they keep saying, well, you know, Hillary's not Trump. You know, they can't point to how great she's going to be, but she's just not going to be as bad as Trump. And when we question that, when we say, no, look, I'm not going to vote for Hillary, but I'm also not going to vote for Trump. I'll vote for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson or I'll write in Bernie Sanders. As soon as you bring that up, the Democratic blackmailers will evoke the specter of Ralph Nader. You don't want to be Ralph Nader, do you? You don't want to Nader this election. Remember the people that said Gore and Bush were no different, so they voted for Nader, and look what happened. Gore ended up losing the election, even though he had more popular votes, because Nader stole all those Florida votes. Bush won Florida by 537 votes. If Nader hadn't been there, my God, all those people would have voted for, they would have voted for Al Gore, and he'd have been president, blah, 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 blah. Such a convenient scapegoat Ralph Nader is. It's always interesting to me how Democrats can scapegoat the third-party candidate that costs their candidate the election. But they won't address that their candidate just sucked. We're seeing it now with Hillary Clinton. She's just a candidate that sucks. Too much baggage, not enough charisma. She's a candidate that sucks. And so because of that, she ends up making the election closer than it should actually be. And because of that, then third parties have an outsized role in how the election might, might fare. The same thing went for Al Gore. Al Gore was a lousy candidate. Al Gore was wooden and stiff. You remember all the jokes about robot Al Gore. And God, yeah, I wish he would have won. Actually, I wish the Supreme Court would have selected him uh, in 2000. Would have been better off than what we got with George W. Bush. We'd have made some progress on climate change. We wouldn't have had the Iraq war, most likely. Uh, people in New Orleans wouldn't have had to wait for days before being rescued from floodwaters, yada, yada, yada. Yes, I, I get all that. But when you say that Ralph Nader cost Gore the election in 2000, it ignores a lot of salient points. Number one. Al Gore lost his home state of Tennessee. He lost his own damn state. If you can't win your own state, you're not a very good candidate. And had he won Tennessee, Florida was is irrelevant. He'd have had a lot. Remember, there's only five electoral votes that separated him. It was like 273 to 268, wasn't it? Something like that. Five EVs. Gore also lost Bill Clinton's home state of Arkansas. And again, had he had Arkansas, Florida doesn't even matter. And then when you look at the Florida election totals, remember, Gore lost by 537 votes in Florida. Every third party that ran in Florida got more than 537 votes. So why blame Nader? Why not blame Moorhead from the Workers of the World Party or the socialist who ran? who got 1,800 votes, or the Democratic Socialist who ran and got 560 votes. Why are they not to blame? And then there were 200,000 Democrats in Florida 
who voted for Bush. Al Gore couldn't even get his own Democrats in Florida to vote for him. You want to blame it on Nader? And then once the election got thrown to the courts, the Gore team blew it in the courts. He blew it in the recounts by calling only for some counties to be recounted and ignoring overvotes. And that's where the Supreme Court was able to step in and say, hey, hold on, it's not being fair to everyone and choose the, the election for Gore. And let's not forget how the real person to blame for George W. Bush is Bill Clinton. More specifically, Bill Clinton's dick. Bill Clinton poisoned the electoral waters with that stupid blowjob scandal. Got the government locked up for two years. See, I don't blame Bill Clinton for the attacks the Republicans made against him uh, throughout his career or any of the other sorts of politics, but this was something under his control. He didn't have to diddle an intern in the Oval Office. In a, in a situation where the, where the Congress already wanted his head on a spike, to take such a foolish, selfish risk to give them that ammunition, the ammunition necessary to grind the government to a halt and begin impeachment proceedings and basically poison the electoral waters for Al Gore, and not only that, made it so, you know, set the frame of, you got to understand, Bill Clinton was like the first boomer president, right? The first young president we'd had in a while. It had been Bush Sr. and Reagan before that. And so there was this kind of this new generation, the post the Vietnam generation kind of coming in. And, you know, Bill Clinton playing sax on Arsenio Hall and all that and all of his bimbo eruptions from before, Jennifer, Jennifer Flowers and all those things that the whole frame was set for the Democrats being this hedonistic party, you know, sex thing going on. That got so set in the frame that at the Democratic convention, Al Gore comes up on stage after getting the nomination and plants this big, uncomfortably sloppy French kiss on his wife to prove, see, I'm a real man who loves my wife. I'm not going to be getting blowjobs in the old office. I love my wife. That one scene, that was like Dukakis in the tank, man. It was just, you knew it was over for Gore. And then because of that, because the frame was set that way, for the rest of the campaign, Gore, an incumbent vice president who was incumbent over a great economy, low unemployment, relative peace and prosperity, the introduction of a new industry, the internet that he legitimately can claim a lot of credit for helping create and all the jokes about Al Gore invented the internet? No, but Al Gore had a whole hell of a lot to do with shepherding the internet through the Congress when it was in its, in its infancy. But he couldn't run on any of that. He couldn't run on any of the successes of the Clinton administration or his own political background because the whole frame of the whole election had to do with a sloppy stain on a blue dress. So don't tell me Nader cost the election for Al Gore Bill Clinton's dick and Al Gore himself cost the election for Al Gore. All right, so I've gone off the warpath a little too long. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll find some marijuana stuff to talk about. And I think throughout the rest of the year, you're going to hear us talking a lot about the Gary Johnson Bill Weld ticket. I got my disagreements with libertarians on a lot of things, but one of the things I like about libertarians is they're consistent 
intellectually and logically consistent. I disagree with their premises in some cases, but at least they're consistent. And Gary Johnson, I know the man personally. I've met him personally. I've interviewed him a number of times. I trust that he's an honest man, and I trust that he's got our nation's best interests at heart. Don't know if he gets my vote over a Bernie write-in. We'll see. I got time. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the third annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo. The most influential business event in the marijuana industry returns for three days in Oakland, California. Join your fellow industry leaders and policy influencers June 20th through 22nd for an in-depth educational experience and network with more than 3,000 cannabis professionals. The 2016 Cannabis Business Summit and Expo will feature keynote presentations from California Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom and Numi Organic Tea CEO Ahmed Rahim giving you insight into cutting-edge policy discussions and the most innovative business practices. All this plus the most comprehensive expo floor in the industry. The Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 20th through 22nd in Oakland. Don't miss out. Register right now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com and save 15% off registration using promo code RADIO15. That's CannabisBusinessSummit.com, promo code RADIO15. We love you. I'm Radical Russ Belville, inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Belville Show. It's the NPR of P.O.T. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. DotBuzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 50 after the hour. You're just 10 minutes away from the next episode of the Stoner Jesus Show coming to you live on CannabisRadio.com. You get yourself an hour of Stoner Jesus, and then at 6 o'clock, the Tommy Chong Podcast new episode of Tommy and Paris Chong discussing the latest in the cannabis community. So stay tuned for the next two hours. Great programming coming up here on CannabisRadio.com. 
In the marijuana news, a couple of bills to talk about. Uh, Today, the Louisiana governor, John Bell Edwards, signed a bill protecting medical marijuana patients from prosecution. It's SB 180. And it's an exemption from prosecution for medical marijuana patients that are using cannabidiol oil. It will become effective on August 1st uh, for any state-sanctioned patient participating in Louisiana's medical marijuana program. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Rate it minor child. Yeah, yeah. It's one of these um, uh, pediatric type things. And we're also hoping that SB 271... Another bill that has been uh, proposed will go forth as well. So uh, good stuff in Louisiana, protection for medical marijuana patients. Mostly we're talking about the kids under the CBD oil. We'll keep you posted on that. Also in Ohio, the medical marijuana law has been signed. Governor John Kasich has signed the medical marijuana bill into law. Signed without comment. And it goes into effect 90 days after it's filed with the Secretary of State. So that should be within the next week or two. And so that puts legal medical marijuana in Ohio sometime around September. In September, what will happen is an affirmative defense will go into effect uh, to protect against uh, possession charges if they have permission from their doctor to use marijuana. It will still be probably a year or more before there's an actual dispensary in operation. So we're talking, you know, 2017, maybe even 2018 before dispensaries exist in Ohio. Now, uh, Cleveland.com says it's the 25th state to pass a comprehensive medical marijuana program, according to the National Conference of State Legislatures. I still got to follow up on this Louisiana thing to see whether they're counting Louisiana or not. It's going to be regulated by the Ohio State Pharmacy Board, the State Medical Marijuana or the State Medical Board and the Department of Commerce. There'll be protection for HIV AIDS, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, Alzheimer's, cancer, CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, Crohn's disease, epilepsy, seizure disorder, fibromyalgia, glaucoma, hepatitis C, IBS, MS, pain that is either chronic, severe, chronic and severe or intractable. Parkinson's disease, post-traumatic stress, sickle cell anemia, spinal cord disease, Tourette's syndrome, traumatic brain injury, and ulcerative colitis. And uh, yeah, it does appear as if they are not considering uh, Louisiana in this list. Okay. And last year, and this is this is great that Kasich assigned this law because last year Kasich had said that medical marijuana wasn't the answer for Ohioans suffering untreatable seizures and other depilitating diseases. And over the period of his presidential run, his stance started to soften on this. And and I think this is happening for a lot of these candidates is that they're starting to recognize that there's 80% support for medical marijuana, 80 to 90% support for medical marijuana. And that, support for or the opposition of medical marijuana doesn't bring with it any tangible benefits, right? Like even though a majority of people support legalization of marijuana now, there's tangible benefits for opposing it, right? You got your prison guards and your, you know, cops, mostly the cops, the law enforcement uh, is a pretty powerful lobby that's against legalization of marijuana. So even though your voters are for it, 
you as a politician can be against it because you're going to benefit in the, the campaign donations and the lobbying that's done from law enforcement's perspective. But with medical marijuana, the law enforcement opposition to it is it's still kind of there, but it's really half hearted these days especially when we talk about these medical marijuana laws that don't allow for home grow and especially that don't allow for smokable plant material, law enforcement starts to ease its opposition. Law enforcement just wants flour to be illegal so that they can continue to bust people for the smell of weed. That's, that's what it comes down to. So if you legalize pills and sprays and inhalers, they're pretty cool with that. Even the opposition that might have come from Big Pharma and their lobbyists in decades past is waning because of the success of GW Pharmaceuticals in starting to pharmaceuticalize cannabinoid medical products. That's the box canyon that we always talk about, about these states setting themselves up to have these programs that don't allow for people to grow their own medicine. And then once the marijuana becomes as medical as it can be with pills, sprays, and inhalers, it's only a couple of strokes of the pen in the legislature to get the plant material removed from the uh, dispensaries and replaced with all of the you know, FDA-approved Sativex and Epidiolex and all those other products. Hell, don't even keep the dispensaries anymore. Just put that stuff in the pharmacy. Don't even have a medical marijuana program anymore because now it's a Schedule II drug and you can just treat it like we treat Oxycontin or anything else you'd go get a prescription for. That's the Box Canyon, folks, and it's coming. These East Coast and Midwestern medical marijuana programs, you just wait. And it's going to be a fight even in the West Coast states that allow for home grow. Maybe not so much for those that have legalized recreational marijuana. But even that might be a fight coming up. Once marijuana is no longer a Schedule 1 drug, I mean, cocaine and meth are Schedule 2, you still do some pretty serious prison time for having either of those drugs. Well, whatever happens, we'll be here at the Russ Belleville Show, keeping an eye on it for you. Stay tuned, because Stoner Jesus is up next. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers! This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it.